Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk, Digital Shadows Cyber Threat Intelligence Podcast. With me today we have a, a new face, but uh, first let's start with our introductions to Charles. Hey, how's it going? And Ivan. Hey guys, what's up? How's it going? And then our newest member to Photon, we have Sean. Sean, how's it going? Hey, going all right. Greetings from uh, Texas. Greetings from Texas. Yeah, happy to have you here with us. Can you uh, give us a little bit of a rundown of uh, who you are? Sure can. Um, so just a lifelong intelligence nerd. Um, grew up in the military mostly and spent most of my adult life there. Um, you know, got into cybersecurity a few years back, worked in the SOC, uh, did some light incident response and fun customer engagements and those types of things. And then um, pivoted into CTI where um, basically, you know, kind of got good with security over there and, and uh, eventually made the jump over here to the shadows. So glad to be on Shadow Talk for the first time sitting with you gentlemen. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to have you and really interested in all your, your insights and I think you're going to be a, become a very famous voice here on, on the podcast. So <laughs> not to, not to you know, set the bar too high, but we'll go ahead and uh, get rolling into it, get right into the stories for the week. Um, this, I want to say this actually came out, the, the FBI activity uh, regarding the exchange servers. This happened at the, the mid to end of last week, but I don't think we actually had a chance to cover it in last week's podcast. And it's actually a topic that we're going to cover in our uh, intelligence summary that comes out at the end of the week. Uh, but we wanted to go ahead and just speak to it since it's really a prolific event. I think it's going to have some impacts to um, the threat landscape as a whole. I think it's one of the, the first times that we've seen FBI activity in this way. So Ivan, can you just give us an overview of the FBI actions against the exchange server web shells that were still existing? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, it has been reported that the FBI, uh, they gained court approval to launch an operation to copy and remove uh, malicious shells from hundreds of computers and systems across the US. Uh, and these were systems that they were compromised through the Microsoft Exchange server vulnerabilities that were active earlier this year. Uh, they stated that this operation to remove the web shell, uh, the, and they only removed the web shell, and they didn't interact with any other information. Yeah, and I, I thought it was interesting just kind of reading through kind of the warrant that they obtained and just the legal precedent of how they went about uh, getting gaining access or gaining legal privilege to go through, gain access to these victimized servers and then go ahead and remove those web shells. So uh, it was kind of interesting to, to see that. And I, I guess I kind of wanted to ask, you know, what do you think is kind of the significance of this action um, that we observed from the FBI? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, this event caused a lot of controversy in the cybersecurity world. Uh, if the government can just interact with your systems and fix your vulnerabilities for you or delete malware from your system. And many believed that this could possibly set uh, a bad legal precedent. But in this case, the outcome was a good one. And uh, this is the case uh, where the FBI, they claimed that they didn't search for any other malicious activities, such as hacking tools on the affected systems. And that they also did not apply any patches on the affected systems. So admins, they still have to go back and update their systems to prevent any future uh, threats. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if this ever occurs again or similar in that if we see the FBI kind of going in these like large scale events, going and targeting these these web shells. I mean, we saw what happened that came out of the solar winds incident, and likely we're, we're kind of we'll go th- over the you know supply chain compromise and third party risk, but uh, here and later in this conversation. Uh, there's some topics that align in that way, but you know it's kind of interesting just to see that I think the FBI is just trying to avoid getting burned or getting you know others in the just trying to be proactive in that way. So yeah, I think it is kind of concerning in some ways, and I do get um, kind of that those concerns that are being voiced in the cybersecurity realm. But at the same time, it seemed like the FBI had good intentions. For sure, and uh, as far as like a legal precedent that I could set in the future. Uh, the judge, what they said is that they could issue a warrant to remove uh, access and, and to search through electronic media and seize or copy any electronically <clears throat> stored information. So there is the possibility now that the government, they may legally ask for permission to interact with systems in the U.S. Uh, as they wish and essentially acting on the behalf of organizations and in their best interest. So this goes beyond simply releasing an advisory warning of cyber threats, and it goes into the realm of active rather than uh, passive prevention. It's definitely interesting. I think it definitely goes to show how the governments across all countries are really recognizing the threat uh, and trying to take, trying to find the best ways to go about mitigating the threat because, you know, it's just so prevalent it's just so rampant and there you know there needs to be some action trying to find the best way i think uh not not to say that you know maybe this was the best way maybe it wasn't but it's kind of interesting to see and uh, i know on the 25th of april coming up here on uh, this coming sunday we have the emotet uh, that's a kill date for emotet so again you know we're starting to see a lot of proactivity coming from um, multiple governments from multiple countries and Uh, just acknowledging the fact that this is such a significant problem. Um, So yeah, definitely an interesting topic. It would be interesting to see uh, where kind of like what comes out in the future in similar instances and see if the FBI goes and does the same thing as uh, you know, I'm sure we'll see another exchange servers type vulnerability coming in the probably coming weeks. Nice. All right. So just moving on to our next topic, we're going to go over. um, I've, I feel like I've, I really like to talk about supply chain attacks. I think we've talked about it every uh, podcast that uh, we've had. And I, I think I'm like willing to say that I think 2021, at least so far, I know we're still really early in 2021, but I think supply chain compromise is just going to be such like one of the hottest topics this year. Um, solar winds at the end of 2020 into the beginning of 2021, which we're still seeing, still seeing outcomes of that. Uh, and then you had the Excelion breach where uh, the Klopp ransomware team just reverting back to just normal extortion techniques where they're just taking data that they found in uh, the company that they breached and targeting their, their, their customers uh, with that, with that data, just saying, Hey, pay us or we're going to post this for, for free. Uh, and now we have this, this third party uh, supply chain attack against code cove, which where I don't think, you know, too much hasn't really came out as to attribution or, uh, much hasn't come out as to, I think, the full extent. Uh, so there's still more to be revealed here. But um, yeah, let's go ahead and just dig into that. Can you tell us about Code Cove, Charles? Uh, Code Cove is an online like, software testing platform. 
Uh, they were recently breached in a uh, like a solar winds type attack, like you were relating to earlier. I think the supply chain compromise stuff is just more and more prevalent. Uh, but basically, somebody uh, was able to get a misconfigured Docker image that they had uploaded uh, and pull credentials off of that, and then they altered the uploading script that was there um, that they use. And what that script did was pull down like tokens, environmental variables, things like that from people's cloud environments. And uh, that would allow attackers to get access to all kinds of stuff because they changed the routing address, basically where that script was uploading stuff to, to their own server. And we're just exfiltrating all kinds of, uh, you know, sensitive data and credentials out of people's environments. So. Yeah. I mean, obviously extremely concerning things. And again, this supply chain compromise, not necessarily anything that defenders have a view on, you know, they're thinking that they're using a legitimate version of legitimate software, but really they're using a Trojanized version that has a malicious script in there that's pulling out key information. I think, you know, some of the the customers of Code Cove uh, included like Alassian, which, uh, you know, is responsible for Jira and uh, Wiki. Uh, And you see, I saw IBM mentioned, um, which both of these companies came out and they said that they haven't observed any activity impacting their products, but yep. you know, you, you really don't know. You really don't know what was taken. And so, I mean, you see code Cove going back and you know, pub- publishing what they, their recommendations to their customers, but um, I don't know what information could have been compromised as, as a result. I mean, you know, it just depends on, on like what tokens they find, what, what environmental variables. There are a lot of, uh, Good practices, you know, dictate that like uh, programmers hard hard code their passwords as environmental variables on their machine. Uh, that way, when actually you're writing code, you're not sending you know credentials in your code being uploaded somewhere. Uh, you just call those variables on whatever you're writing. And and so, I think you know, depending on what was there, you know, it could have been all kinds of username password combinations. It could have been you know uh, like shortened file names that they could then go back to look for on that system later, potentially if they, if they had decided to target that, you know, organization with those username and passwords, but, you know, um, tokens to start using other, other services or something under the identity of, of somebody else. Uh, so I think, I think there's a lot of data there that could have been used uh, to abuse all kinds of different services and networks. Yeah. And I think as more comes out about this, I've seen reporting saying that this is almost or is at the level of the solar ones incident. Uh, and I'm sure once, you know, attribution is kind of uh, revealed or if it is ever revealed, or if we get more information as to the true extent of any of Code Cove's customers that um, you know, might have lost credentials or, you know, might have lost some of those tokens to those secure environments uh, we might be able to make that assessment that this is very similar to solar winds, but you know, it just seems like back to back, we keep seeing these supply chain compromises uh, and especially those in the, like the technology area. It's just so concerning because like you can be, you can do everything right. And then your third, a third party organization gets uh, breached in this way and you're kind of left out there to dry. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think that's a big thing that people just need to, keep in mind uh, is that having a good security program for like third-party risk assessments, stuff like that, like you still need to have all those business continuities and disaster recovery things and, and plan for these things, plan for those third parties to fail. And what would you do in those scenarios? So, 
Yeah, all about getting left of the boom. Uh, as I've kind of said before, it's just a matter of being prepared as much as you can. And, uh, you know, in, in the case that a boom does occur, uh, you've kind of been proactive in planning and you're not kind of running your planning as it's happening. Yep. Definitely. Keeping with the supply chain compromise angle uh, and kind of talking through this thought of like extortion, just using, going back to like what I think of like the TDO days of the Dark Overlord where, uh, you know, he, there's not necessarily, you don't need ransomware attack anymore. It's just like you can just gain access to a victim and then use that access to target their customers. And I imagine if you have enough information, you could then try and extort them. And so this is actually what we see, what we saw in our next topic um, from the Our Evil Gang. Um, so again, like this supply chain compromise is nothing new. We've seen this time and time again. Um, I think it's been primarily focused from like a nation state perspective, but I, I think now we're, you know, the cyber criminals are definitely expanding in this way. We're seeing kind of this return to uh, pure extortion. You don't need to ransomware everybody. You can just gain access to uh, a company that provides uh, you know, any sort of service to a bunch of other companies and then use the data that they might have in that area. Um, but yeah, jumping into this a little bit, we're going to go ahead and, and go to Sean. So Sean, can you tell us who is Quanta uh, and what information did they maintain that was used to to try and extort Apple? So Quanta is super interesting because they're basically like, uh, if it's like the Wizard of Oz, they're basically like the guy behind the door, you know, so they're the guy behind the guy. Um, lots of uh, customers with pretty much all the big um, computer manufacturers since they're specializing in notebooks and you know other kinds of uh, tech peripherals so basically you know you're looking at um, customers like hp alienware lenovo uh lenovo sorry um, cisco and microsoft uh, dell hp yeah definitely i saw um so they named the company in typical fashion that we see in today's ransomware landscape they named the company uh to the data leak site um mm -hmm. to happy blog and so um yeah and then they kind of listed out some of the information that they were they were listing for sale it's kind of interesting just the the tactics it, it was really seemed like fear tactics kind of like people just saying you know if you don't pay for this like we're going to publish this for you know for free obviously kind of the the whole goal of uh, extortion is really just trying to force that payment and give as much pressure. Um, do you think this like return to like simple extortion that we used to see in like the TDO days? Do you think it's going to be something to stay? Do you think that more ransomware variant, more ransomware families are going to kind of adopt this topic, this tactic? Uh, well, I, with um, our evil, especially um, just kind of looking at previous attacks and how they're, they're kind of adapting their, their, their different types of tactics. Um, I think this will probably, be, you know, continue to be a big threat because if you think about it, ransomware on its own, um, while scary, was you know somewhat easy to defeat. You know, if you if you had a company that had insurance already, um, or they had backups, or they were pretty much ready to lose, you know, any kind of access to network resources, then a lot of times they wouldn't even bother negotiating. And the you know the tactic that Quanta, you know, of, of not negotiating with them, um, you know goes, you know, speaks to that fact. But now that you have the threat of, you know, not only potentially losing access to all your resources, but you're also going to get all of them exposed, 
um, is definitely an interesting new twist with a lot of this. And, um, you know, the, the tactics that have been discussed out there and some new stories where, you know, basically like Ariville or other operators may choose to, you know, use uh, DDoS attacks or uh, making, you know, public calls to the media, um, you know, getting in contact with, you know, suppliers and customers of the victim. Um, so those types of additional layers, I think, will probably once, you know, they kind of prove that they work, um, I, I could see that potentially, you know, becoming a lot more prevalent. There's going to be customer data, there's internal data potentially, and, and other schematics, um, which coincide with um, the spring-loaded event. Um, so, you know, seeing that type of activity where it's tied into a specific event um, or something else that could cause, you know, some sort of media fallout, I think is going to be really interesting to see how actors, you know, continue to use those types of tactics. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all about just getting paid. That's kind of yep. what I've seen in, in the responses that uh, have kind of been published from various ransomware operators. They're just interested in, in making as much money as they possibly can. Um, mm -hmm. So I think this is, you know, kind of wanted your thoughts. Do you think this is like a good opportunity, this kind of return to that just basic extortion? Do you think it's a good opportunity to expand the target base for ransomware operators? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, once you start throwing in, um, threats to media and, and supply chain and customers and things like that. I mean, that, at that point, pretty much any industry can be potentially touched by this. Um, so uh, I think, you know, it, it goes back to underline that, you know, no one's really truly safe um, if you're, you know, dealing with extortion via ransomware, um, especially when, you know, maybe if they start at a really high number, you know, as, as, a, as the, you know, like say, you know, it's a hundred million dollars they threaten, you know, um, or else, you know, but even if like, let's say they do get to negotiations and make a million dollars off the thing, I mean, they still made a million dollars, you know, so it's like they, they basically kind of have um, the advantage at that point. And they're going to, you know, if a company does negotiate, they're, they're going to make money regardless, you know, so um, yeah, I, I, I definitely could see this continuing to be a thing. And maybe there's some spinoffs and some other new tactics that come out of this, you know, and um, at that point, it's kind of up to us in the Intel world to, to kind of stay up with this and, you know, see if these actors are truly posting the things that they're doing and, you know, what, whatever else is out there. So. Yeah, definitely. And it's just kind of goes back to the supply chain compromise and getting access to one company and gives you access to multiple victims. So I think it is a, a tactic that's going to stay. I think this kind of like, especially now that we see ransomware variants with the data exfiltration capabilities, most of them, mm -hmm that at least the most, the more prominent ones have that capability nowadays. So it makes sense for them to go through that data and then determine, Oh, can I use this data to get any more money? Not, not only am I getting paid from like a ransomware angle, but now I can extort one of the, one of my ransomware victims, custom customers uh, mm -hmm. for more money. Cause you know, again, it's just all about making money for them. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, previous ransomware campaigns that were out there, I mean, you had so many different types of ways to use those exploits. It could be a web server, it could be by phishing, it could be, you know, through any number of ways to get in. And so, you know, it's 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 on pretty much the blue teams to defend against that sort of stuff. Yeah, it just goes back to data management and really understanding what your third-party organizations, what access they, they have and what kind of data that they have access to because maybe it doesn't warrant you paying the ransom amount, you know, and you can kind of like, if you are kind of in that or the extortion amount uh, and if you're in that kind of like scenario, you know, well, I know what data that that 
organization maintain and it's not valuable to me. So you can go ahead and post it for, you know, everyone to see. So yeah. Yeah. Interesting to see how that tactic plays out. Yep. So just kind of rounding out our topics for the week, we wanted to speak briefly on the Pulse Secure VPN Zero Day that's been used to um, kind of target some some different organizations. I guess, Charles, can you just give us a technical overview of that vulnerability, of those vulnerabilities? Yeah, so actually uh, for the new CVE that the come out that they've announced, uh, CVE 2021-22893, there's not actually a whole lot of technical detail out about it right now, uh, other than the fact that it is, uh, it's an authentication bypass vulnerability. Uh, so basically what that means is it's uh, an unauthenticated uh, user can execute remote code uh, on the Pulse Secure gateway. Um, it's got a CVSS uh, score of 10, which is as high as it goes. So it's uh, one of the reasons that, you know, CISO put out that notification telling everybody they need to get it patched by the end of the week. So, yeah, and almost, it's almost pretty soon. I think last year we saw the same kind of level of severity, vulnerability impacting Pulse Secure VPN as well. So it's kind of like yep. an anniversary almost. Um, but yeah. And, I mean, it's just, you know, it just goes to say that VPN is, is obviously a heightened target with the move to the remote worker. And I think we've all seen increased targeting in that way, increased targeting of RDP and a VPN. Uh, and so it makes sense that threat actors are going to leverage these, this zero day um, pretty quickly. And I guess, Ivan, what, what threat actors have been observed targeting these vulnerabilities so far? Yeah, so so far uh, the threat actors exploiting these vulnerabilities, they were primarily Chinese nation state groups. Uh, these were tracked by FireEye to be UNC 2630, uh, which is, has some ties to APT5. And then there was also UNC 2717. And they took over post secure appliances by exploiting these vulnerabilities. And uh, there could be more. And now that it's out in the open, it's likely that we will see more groups exploiting these. Uh, in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. As we see in all these kind of large scale vulnerabilities, they can be adopted by cyber criminals. And I imagine, uh, you know, that's why we see CISA coming out so quick and, you know, saying that they want all federal organizations to patch by Friday, uh, just because the, the fallout is likely to be coming shortly. Um, what, what were the threat actors targeting? Uh, so they targeted uh, def defense organizations and contractors in the U.S., uh, as well as across, across the globe. And uh, given that these attacks were primarily targeted at government organizations, and we know that it was conducted by nation-state threat actors uh, from the PRC, it's highly likely that these were related to espionage activity or information-gathering information, information campaigns uh, at these nations. Yeah, it makes sense. So, uh, you know, pretty consistent with what we see from targeting from uh, Chinese associated uh, APT groups. So it uh, wouldn't surprise me they're going through their, their kind of typical intelligence gathering uh, operations and targeting and targeting some of these vulnerabilities uh, to go about collecting that information. So, all right. Yeah. So that wraps up our topics that I, I really wanted to cover for, for this week. Uh, a couple of quick plugs for blogs that we put out. So we published our Q1 vulnerability roundup, looking at some of the most commonly targeted vulnerabilities in the first quarter of 2021. And uh, then a second blog included 
uh, just kind of an overview of Emotet, where we are now with the upcoming April 25 kill date that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. And finally, just want to re- reiterate that we're nearing our 200th episodes actually next week. So set your reminders. It's going to be a special podcast. We're going to do something unique. So you definitely want to go ahead and tune in there. Other than that, that concludes our, our topics for the week. Thank you, Charles, Sean, and Ivan. Appreciate you guys being on here, running through uh, some interesting threat intelligence. Absolutely. Always a blast. All right. Sounds good. We'll go ahead and uh, everyone have a safe week. Again, look forward to our 200th episode coming up next week.